I'm always amazed at the giftedness of you, the church. The Bible says that God's gifted each one with gifts so that together in our giftedness, we become the reflection of Jesus Christ in the world. And so it was my joy, I think it was almost four years ago, to see my son in the faith, Benjamin, come to the Lord as his savior. And then to see how God has gifted him. Who'd have thought? The guy that won't even speak up in Bible study because he's too quiet will have a public speaking ministry, but we are blessed by it. And so today I'm gonna have Benjamin come and just do chapter 15. We're gonna fast forward to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. And I'll tell you what, every time I listen, I'm instructed because this is how the early church heard the scripture. They just got a letter and then they just heard it. And uh, it's a blessing. So Ben, you come. Good morning. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end 
when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain, if humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some, some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed, its own body. For not all flesh is the same, there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, 
and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. this way, Sam. There you go. All the way up. Thank you, Benjamin. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, use it by the Holy Spirit to instruct our hearts. Lord, I pray that I might be spirit-filled as a teacher this morning. Lord, even as Ben was, as he spoke your word to us and that Lord that we would receive the word Lord I pray for those who are not saved that without a shepherd they may have religion but they have no hope and so they have to live in fear Lord today that you would dispel that fear as you draw them to yourself and we'll give you all the glory in Jesus name amen 1 Corinthians 15 supernatural foundational Doctrine, that just means teaching. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the foundation for all of our life. As he says, as he comes to the end of that chapter, Paul says, if, if we understand the resurrection, we have confidence and power for anything. Otherwise, we're left to ourselves without the, crush, without the resurrection. I've just been to two funerals of my family, my my close family in the last two weeks. And this doctrine makes all the difference. Because as Pastor Murray spoke at my Uncle Jerry's funeral, when we talk about the resurrection, we talk about the assurity that our loved ones who knew Christ are with him. That's not funeral speak. Second Corinthians chapter five says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so we sorrow. We do sorrow. Death is an enemy. It's not a good thing. But we don't sorrow as others who have no hope. That's the point this morning. Do you have hope in Christ? If you have hope, it's because you believe the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the first 11 verses, we have the supernatural good news, the gospel in the gospel is the resurrection. Without the resurrection, it is not good news. The gospel contains forgiveness of sins. If your sins are not forgiven, if it's, well, you trust Christ and you do all you can and then he does all the rest, how do you know if you've done everything you're supposed to? Where is that line? No, the Bible says Jesus' last words, it is finished. Everything that's needed for salvation, he finished at the cross. And the exclamation point was he rose again the third day. 
conquering not only death and sin, the resurrection. In the first four verses, we have, as it were, the gospel in a nutshell. And he said, this is what you believe. This is what you were saved by if indeed you trusted Christ as your savior for real. And it wasn't just in vain. It wasn't just a passing religious fancy. What is the gospel? Verse three, Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. When you share the gospel, you're not sharing the gospel if you just say, oh, listen, you should trust Christ so you can go to heaven. That's not the whole gospel. The reason you don't go to heaven if you don't have Christ is because of your sin. And you don't sin to become a sinner. You're born in sin. Therefore, you sin. It's just who you are. And there needs to be a sacrifice. There needs to be a payment for that sin. Jesus Christ paid that payment. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. According to the scripture, he was buried. He died. Listen, you look at history. Roman soldiers had to make sure the prisoner who was executed was dead. It wasn't like, oh, he had loss of blood, he swooned and labor, he stumbled out of the tomb. No, no, he was dead. When they came to him, they saw he was dead, but to make sure, they took a spear and they thrust it up through his side into his heart. And John testified, I saw blood and water come out. He was dead. He died. He took all the wrath for our sin on his body and then he dismissed his spirit. Jesus said in John 10, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord and I'll take it up again. Then on the third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures of what he had prophesied about himself. Destroy this body, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up again. In verses five through 11, we have all the witnesses, the authentication. Over 500 at one time, all the apostles, James, and then Paul calls himself one born as of, out of due time. He also saw the risen Christ. So there's authentication. He rose again. He's not just another religious leader that, that we venerate for his wise sayings. So many in liberal Christian churches today teach, well, he didn't really have to rise from the dead. He rose in his spirit. That's what's going on here. Somebody, because of their big thoughts, is starting to teach false doctrine. We don't really rise from the dead. We just rise in our spirit. No, the doctrine of the resurrection is real. It's part of the foundational understanding of the ministry of Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. And it was authenticated by all these people that saw him. Verses 20 through 20, 23. Excuse me, verses 12 through 19. Second point. He lets us just kind of examine. So what if there were no resurrection? So what if there's not a resurrection? Let's just think about that a minute. He says, well, if Christ has preached that he was raised from the dead, then if there's no resurrection, then he wasn't raised either. And guess what? If he didn't raise from the dead, then you can't trust him because he said he would. And that leaves us still in our sins. 
That means what we preach is a lie that Jesus can forgive sins and that you'll be with him for all eternity. That's a lie. And everybody that's died, they're just lost. You'll never see them again. No different than people that don't know Christ. Sometimes we come to a funeral and we, we talk about well, we lost our loved one or we say, well, how's your dad doing? He said, well, I lost my dad so many years ago. Well, as a believer, we really don't lose anybody. We know where they're at. That's the great comfort in 1 Thessalonians chapter four. We below believe all those that died are with Jesus. Jesus takes them with him. And, and he talks about that. Then he says, comfort one another with these words. So those that have died in the Lord, they're with Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter five says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You close your eyes here, you open them in heaven. That's real teaching. But if the dead are not raised and there's no resurrection, people still are in their sin and anybody that you knew that died, they're just gone. You will never see them again if the resurrection's not true. Then he says, if all the hope we have in this life are the teachings of Jesus, and that's it, we're of all people to be pitied. King James says we are of all people most miserable because we believe in a lie and our religion is nothing more than just a hope in hope. We just hope. But there's no sure, settled hope that God is gonna keep his word if Christ is not raised from the dead. Paul in his testimony in Philippians chapter three talks about his desire to know Christ and all the sufferings of his death and the power of his resurrection. What is that? That's victory over sin. That's the victory. And as a believer, sometimes you may pray, Lord, just give me victory over my sin. No, God's already won the victory. You just need to trust him and walk in it. But if Christ has not been raised and all we have are some doctrines, some teachings that kind of order our life, then we're empty. It's vain. Thirdly, verses 20 through 28, we see the great hope of the re resurrection and eternity because he lives, we live, and the promise that he will bring all these things to a victorious conclusion. He wrote the end. Read the book of Revelation. Jesus wins and we win with him. But first in this passage for verse 20 through 24, he goes back to the beginning and he says, and Adam all died. Now God did not intend for Adam to sin. That was Adam's choice. He created man to live forever. When God got done, he said, it is good. He gave him those spiritual bodies that we will have again someday. But then Adam chose sin. The proof, everybody sins, everybody dies. The Bible says, so death passed upon all men. So in Adam, all die. But in Christ, all are made alive. By the disobedience of ones, Romans 5, we have all this sin and death. By the obedience of the one, Jesus Christ, the new Adam, the heavenly man, we live forever. Verse 20, 
Now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Then in verses uh, 24, we see the conclusion. See, this is skipping to the end. It's skipping past the tribulation, past the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, past when Satan is loosed again after the thousand years. And that's an amazing thing. Here will be Jesus ruling physically in Jerusalem. People all the world can go and they can see him. He will be ruling really from his throne. Everybody that goes into the millennium will be a Christian, but they will have children. The earth will be repopulated after the tremendous, awful devastation of the tribulation. But some of those children will not trust Christ. And at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, Satan will be loosed again. Remember, he'll be bound for those thousand years. He'll be loosed again, and he'll gather a great host in rebellion against Christ. And that's where Paul takes us here, to the very end of time. And he says, when he puts all things under his feet, verse 26, the last enemy that will be abolished is death. The Bible says there, and death and hell is cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death, prepared for Satan and his angels, but also the place that those that reject Jesus Christ will go. Jesus wins. Verses 29 through 34, this is kind of like a parenthesis. Now, we've all listened to Dr. Bookman. He probably got it from the Apostle Paul, so he'll, he'll be going down a road and all he says, by the way, right? By the way, you know a good story is coming. And you're writing notes trying to catch up. He said, how am I going to keep this too? He says, by the way, he gets back to this idea of what if there's no resurrection? So he just throws it, by the way, if there's no resurrection, then what about people that are being baptized for the dead? Now, don't get all distracted by silly Mormon doctrine at this point. They came to this verse and they just go to seed. This is not that complicated. Why are people being baptized for the dead? What he's saying is, and, and this is the reason that pastors, for the most part, like doing funerals better than they like doing weddings, because at weddings, just so you know that I know, nobody's listening, right? Including the bride and groom. I sometimes have to say, hey, I'm talking to you up here. You're making vows. Everybody wants to go to the party. I remember I, I preached, or I, I did my son Benjamin's uh, wedding in Colorado, and my dad was there. My dad liked to give all the doctrines of everything at every opportunity, make sure he did his job. And so when I got done with my 12-minute sermon, I know that because Coach Detai was timing it. 12 minutes, huh? My dad said, it's kind of short, wasn't it? I said, you listen, didn't you? People don't listen at weddings. But at funerals, every Everybody listens because they, without, you don't have to even say, they're thinking, what about me when I'm in that box? And people listen and it's an amazing opportunity to share the gospel and people have come to Christ. We saw it at my own son's funeral. We we're having this great harvest of souls and then Jesse died and there was like a, <gasps> and some of those, so many of those came to know Christ after that. And he's saying if there's no resurrection and people just die, 
then after a saint they knew dies to go be with the Lord, why would they trust Christ and be obedient in the waters of baptism if there's no resurrection? Why would you do that? Well, he died, he's gone. Very simple. Then he goes on and he says, now listen, if there's no resurrection, why do I put myself in danger every hour? Why do I risk my life if there's no resurrection? That's a good question. It's because there is a resurrection. He says, now, if I from human motives fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Then he gives this really good verse for parenting right there in the middle of this talk on resurrection. Bad company corrupts good morals. Just a side note, just so you know. I had the influence with my family, my children when they grew up, to tell them, if you can't be the influence in the relationship and you're going to let peer pressure help you make the wrong decisions, you're not hanging out with them anymore. Mm-hmm. That's right. All, all, all my, my children's friends were not Christians, but they had the responsibility as a Christian to be the influence in the situation. Paul said, if you can't hang out with these people and not be influenced by their bad teaching, you better cut it out. Then he gets a little serious even a little rude in the next verse. And he says this, you need to start thinking clear. Become sober-minded as you ought. Stop sinning. These big thoughts you're having, knock it off. There are people that don't know the Lord and you're sitting around pontificating, considering your theological navel instead of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to stop it. Some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Fourthly, so he says, so how does resurrection work? Somebody said, okay, well, hold it. The body goes in the ground. It dies. It's corrupted. It turns to dust. We learned in our trips to Israel that what they would do over there is they have a family tomb. And they lay the person out there for a year or so in that, that heat of that Mediterranean environment didn't take long. About a year later, they'd go back in there and there'd just be bones left. And in the scripture, when you read, he was gathered to his fathers. Remember that? Sounds really nice, doesn't it? What that means is they pulled up all the bones and they threw them down in the pit in that tomb with all the other bones. He was gathered to his father. So all, everybody's bones is down in there in the Old Testament. That's how they did it. So how does it, what body are they going to have? He says, don't be foolish. It's like a seed. You plant a seed in the ground and it dies. And when it comes out, it's not just a seed, is it? It has its own body. If it's a corn seed, it has a stalk and leaves and ear and tassels, right? But we know it's corn because it came from that corn seed. If you plant an apple seed, an apple seed doesn't come out. A whole tree comes out that bears fruit. So he said, it's just like planting a seed. First, the body has to die, but then when it comes out, it's the new body. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it does not appear as yet what we will be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Now, there's no reincarnation 
you know, like some false religions teach us. No, humans have one kind of body. Animals have another kind of body. Fish have another kind of, you know, we get that. But he says very clearly, you're going to have a heavenly body if you belong to Jesus Christ. Now, what did Jesus Christ's body, what was it like? Well, if you look in the Gospels when he rose from the dead, he could just appear, pass right through walls, and yet they could touch him. And he could eat with them. He cooked fish for them in the last chapter of John 22. Remember, they thought, well, we failed. We deserted him. We'll go fishing. And everybody said, okay, Peter, we'll go with you. We know how to fish. And Jesus showed up to call them back and to make sure they understood, no, no, I want you guys. You're still the guys I want. And he was cooking fish on the shore. And yet in the, you have the, the, the story in Luke that some people after the, the, the crucifixion, they've left they don't even know the resurrection has taken place. So they're leaving. And they're walking on the road. All of a sudden, the stranger comes alongside. And he's walking with them. And he says, what's going on? They're, well, you haven't heard what's going on? So they tell him about how he has been crucified. And they don't recognize him because he made sure they couldn't see who he was. As they're walking along, and they're going to stop for the night, he acts like he's going to go on. So, oh, no, please come and eat with us. Because what he was telling them Later, they say, did not his words burn in our hearts? We should have known who it was by his words. So he, he yields, he goes in to sit down, and when he begins to break the bread, they see who he is, and he's gone, he disappears. So we're gonna be able to travel like that, and yet it's a real physical body. You're not a ghost. You're gonna eat. You're gonna live. You're gonna have that kind of body if you know Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 49, he talks about this. The first Adam became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. We're gonna have new bodies. Verses 50 through 53, we see the mystery of the resurrection. He's gonna give some new information here. He said, behold, I'm gonna show you something. It's a mystery. Formerly you didn't know this, now I'm letting you know it. Not everybody's gonna die. There are gonna be some Christians living in the earth when Jesus comes back in the clouds and he's gonna cause the voice of the archangel to shout the trumpet of God and we get kind of the rest of the story in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. The Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. He says, now we're going to be changed, everybody. And rapture, oh, wouldn't it be great? The rapture could happen today. But I want to make sure you're comforted about this, that the experience for the believer rapture is no different than death. Because it happens, he says here, in the twinkling of an eye, literally an atom of time. If you are part of the rapture as a believer, you're just sitting someplace, you're walking someplace, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, what happened there? Because now you're with the Lord. It's not like, here we go. No, no, it says twinkling of an eye, bang, like that. You know what? That's the same thing that happens to us in death. We close our eyes in death. And we wake up breathing heaven's air. Isn't that something? 
What is Paul trying to tell us? There's no need for fear in the Christian life. You belong to him. You have eternal life now, not when you die. That's what John said, 1 John 3, 2. Behold, now are you the children of God. Now you have eternal life. Lastly, in verses 54 through 57, we have the reason for courageous service. He says, but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I think the moment for just that atom of time when we wake up in heaven, we're gonna think, what? I was afraid of this. This is what I made decisions on, not dying. See, the worst thing that happened to believers, not death, that's the best thing because then we're with the Lord, absent of the body, present with the Lord. Those thoughts are gonna pass through our mind. Why did I spend so much time on that passion and that pursuit when I could have been investing in this? And he gets down to the last verse and he sums it up. And he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, because you have this understanding to be absent of the body to be present with the Lord and he has a new body waiting for you, there's some truths that we can glean. Number one, we can be assured to be absent of the body to be present with the Lord. We can be courageous in living out the gospel and sharing the gospel. We can be assured that what we're telling people is the truth. And if they will trust Christ, they will find the same thing that you find because God is good to his word. We can look forward to our new supernatural bodies. You don't have to be that old until as a believer, you start looking forward to that. Let me tell you, things just stop working, don't they? There's certain things that you say, well, I don't need to prove myself anymore, so I'm not going to do that. But one day, we're going to have millennial bodies, and they're going to be perfect. Your mind, I was talking to one of my good friends at the funeral, Rick Koffel, he's just an amazing mind, and he says, you know the thing about heaven is we're going to have an amazing capacity to learn everything. He's so excited about that because he loves science and he loves all these things. And we're gonna be able to learn and, and travel and do all these things throughout outer space, maybe in the new heavens, the new earth. Totally new experience, those new bodies. We look forward to that. And more than that, eternity with Jesus. Your sins forgiven, totally perfected, and to be in that worship with all the saints of all the ages. So we come to verse 58. This ought to bring us to the conclusion we ought to invest everything in the kingdom. Everything we do, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we ought to be doing for the glory of God. Don't waste time setting your own affection, the Bible says, on the things you can see. Live for the eternal. Live for the invisible. What a motivation for total investment. He says, because of this truth, you can be unmoved by any situation. 
You can live life fearlessly, courageously in living out the gospel. And you can invest everything because you know when you invest for Christ, when you live for him, it's not gonna be empty. How many things are not gonna be there? All the things we value, all the things we say, well, this is what's important. That, you know, my son knows how to fish. Something wrong with fishing? No, there's nothing wrong with fishing. That my son knows how to hunt. That we know how to play football. Those are good things, but in spite of the silly song, we're not gonna be playing football in heaven. Hope that doesn't disappoint you. Why? Well, it'd be pointless. Everybody wins all the time. Every tackle is made, every touchdown is made. I don't know, there's no reason for it. But everything we invest for Jesus is forever. There's an old saying, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Don't waste your life. Invest it for eternity. If you're not a believer today, you've never trusted Christ, don't waste this opportunity. Eternity awaits. It could be tomorrow. You don't want to enter eternity without Christ. It's too final. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this information, this teaching, that as soon as we accept you as our savior, we have become partaker of the life of Christ. We have eternal life. Heaven awaits. Our new body awaits. Our resurrection awaits. Lord, we have everything in you and you're going to bring it to a conclusion. Lord, use your word in our decisions that we learn to check everything with you. Lord, is this for eternity? Is this for the kingdom or is this for me? So that you make our path straight so that one day we can hear from you, well done, faithful servant, and then we'll give you all the glory. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.